Hey, good morning. I, th I think there's some worshipers here. <laughs> God's presence, His Spirit is in you. He's in this place. We are so amazed by Him. Yeah, as uh, Tom just prayed, uh, the first service, uh, having Joe and Ada here, uh, thank you guys. What a, what a joy to be able to worship with you. And uh, I, I, I just really hit me last service, just the, the fracturing of our society, right? There, everything's being torn apart. Yet, if Jesus is truly king, and that picture of every nation, tribe, and tongue before the throne of God, then our hope is that God is king, right? And he's drawing us together. So thank you for your ministry. Thank you so much for being with us this morning. We are so grateful to be in a partnership with you. Um, God, is, God is king. <laughs> and that's why we're here this morning, is, is to declare that reality, to believe that God's work is greater than the work of the devil. Jesus said, I came into this world to destroy the work of the devil. And the devil is at work. Do you, do you see that in our world today? Do you see the work of the devil, the division, the destruction, uh, the brokenness? Uh, if, you, if you don't feel that deeply in your soul, then it, you can't escape it. Uh, we must see that reality. But God has a greater purpose and a greater kingdom that will overcome this world. This week, um, I, I listened to a sermon by S.M. Lockridge. He was, he's an, he was an Afro, he's since gone uh, to be with the Lord Jesus, but he was a pastor in California for many years. And um, I listened to a, a message of his this week that really uh, touched me and ministered to me. And one of the things that, uh, it's over an hour long, but uh, uh, one of the things that, and I'm going to share a little bit of a clip with it with you this morning, but one of the things that struck me um, as he's talking about the Lord's Prayer and, and this reality of, of being able to come into to God's presence, he shared a story about um, being invited to the White House. And so he and, and Billy Graham and a few other leaders in that time got to go to the White House and, and share and pray together. And uh, he, he told the story how he grew up in, in Texas and had very few resources and he had never dreamed in his life he would end up in the White House and, and how that that blessed him and, and being amazed by the, the, the power and the, the things that are in that place. And, uh, and then he said he was greatly disappointed because it was Nixon <laughs> who was in the White House. And, and you guys know the, the scandal and everything that happened there. And, and so he was so disappointed. But God used that whole circumstances in his life to remind him of who is truly king. And so I want to play a video clip and I want you to watch this. Or, Hear this. He's a king of Israel. He's a king of righteousness. He's a king of the ages. He's a king of heaven. He's a king of glory. He's a king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest person. 
personality in philosophy. He's a fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent and he purifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key King. I love he says, I can't describe him. <laughs> it's awesome. And so God's kingdom is the theme of today's message. We are looking at eight weeks of the central themes of God's story, God's story, God's glory. I think the kingdom of God is probably one of the most under, misunderstood things, but is one of the most central messages of the Bible. In fact, if you look at all the Gospels, it's the thing that Jesus talked about more than anything else. So it must be important. Last week we looked at creation, that God is the creator. And we looked at the purpose of creation that is revealed to us in the Bible that all of creation is like a, a temple that God created with his glory at the very center of it all. Which gives us meaning and purpose. It helps us answer the question, why are we here? <laughs> and so we understand that God's glory is at the center of all things, and that everything exists for him and through him and to him. And so when we begin to understand that, the next question, and, and we talked about this in some of our small groups this past week, is, is why is there so much brokenness? Why is there so much evil in this world? Why are, is there so much destruction in our lives and our worlds if what God made is so good and has such a good purpose? And so that's why as we look at this idea of the kingdom, we begin to understand the story and begin to understand why the Bible reveals there's so much brokenness in ourselves and our world. Because if God is king, and we see in the story of, 
of uh, creation, Adam and Eve living in this garden temple with God, worshiping God, working unto the Lord. Uh, the serpent's uh, temptation was, did God really say? And is God really good? And, and why can't you decide what is good and what is evil? And so what we see at the very heart of the story is that there's a rebellion against God as king. There's a rebellion against God's rule over all things, his rule over creation, and God as the center of all things. And so what we have is a, a story about a battle, a battle against God. And we see in Adam and Eve, what we see in ourselves is a rebellion and a resistance against God's kingship, against his lordship over all things. And that's what sin is at its very essence, at its foundation, is a, is a rebellion against God. It's missing God's goodness, his purpose, his plan, his purpose for our lives. And so this, this sinful rebellion brought about a curse, which is both God's judgment, but we also see God's redemption in it. And so very, from the very beginning of the story, even in Genesis 3, where we see the reality of rebellion against his, his lordship and his kingship, we see God's redemption as he promises a seed to bring about the destruction of sin and rebellion. And so this must be important. This was a central part of the story of God. And Jesus made it the highlight. In fact, you go through all the Gospels, the thing he preached over and over was repent for the kingdom of heaven is near or at hand. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And most of Jesus' teaching centered around this reality of the kingdom. In Mark it says the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. Believe the gospel. And so Jesus brought about a message of repentance which was the message of John the Baptist, which was the message of the early church, of Peter, of repentance. And it must be our message today because that rebellion against God is in all of us and it's in our world. And so in order to properly understand the kingdom of God, we must come humbly before him. We must come in a spirit of repentance. And repentance literally means to change our minds, to change our thinking. Our own thinking, which rejects God, has resulted in utter destruction in our world, in our own lives. And so we have a lot of wrong thinking about things and about ourselves and about our world. And so in order to understand God's story, we have to come under his leadership. We have to come under his lordship, under his kingship. Otherwise, we will continue to fight against him. And so just like in Jesus' day, we have a lot of ideas about the kingdom of God, that are wrong thinking. And so we have to change our thinking. We have to change our idea of what God is about and what he is doing. Many people have a mistaken idea that the kingdom will come about through their own social action or their own action. But we have to change our thinking. Many people have the same idea like the zealots and the Pharisees in Jesus' day that somehow God's kingdom would come in a powerful way that they thought was powerful but Jesus revealed a whole new way that was way outside their box, and it's way outside our box, as he came as a suffering servant, as he came to the cross, as he went to the grave, and as he overcame the grave and the resurrection. We see a new idea of how God is bringing about his kingdom. And so 
Jesus' message was one of repentance so that we can understand what God's purpose and story is as king, as Lord of all. I love what Dallas Willard says about the kingdom of God. He says it's the range of God's effective will where God gets done what he's going to get done. And so it's God's will and it's his action. It's what he does. It's his power to accomplish what he has set into motion. It is an everlasting reality. <laughs> it's a reality. It's not something hidden. It's a reality that Jesus pointed people to. He said, repent because the kingdom is here. It's near. It's at hand. It's in front of you. It's the natural home of the soul. It's the deepest longing in all of us is for the leadership of God. And the trouble is we are always looking for leadership in other things or other places, whether it's in ourselves or someone else or something else. We grasp for other things that we think will rescue us, that will help us, will bring order to the chaos in our lives. But the natural home of our souls is the kingdom of God. It's his rule, it's his reign from everlasting to everlasting. John, uh, in the Gospel of John, he talks about the kingdom of God as eternal life. <laughs> eternal life. It's what we were created for, to eat of the eternal, the tree of eternal life. Jesus, when he prayed and he taught us to pray, he said, Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, and your will be done. And so we cannot look at the story of God without understanding who he is as the rightful ruler of everything and the rightful ruler over our own lives. And so we have this conflict between that reality and the rebellion in our, in our lives, in our world. Jesus referred to himself in light of a prophecy in Daniel chapter 7. And this is a prophecy where, where Daniel saw a picture of a statue and then he also saw these beasts that represents the kingdoms of this world. And in Gen Daniel chapter 7, 13, he says, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was like a son of man, one like a son of man coming in the clouds of heaven. This was Jesus' favorite reference to himself. He called himself the son of man. And the Jews would have understand he was talking about what Daniel saw, that vision that Daniel saw. Jesus is saying, here I am. <laughs> this is me. One like a son of man coming in the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days, and was led into his presence, and he was given authority. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me, glory and sovereign power. All nations and people of every language worshiped him. And so Jesus, when he talks about the kingdom of God, he's, he's talking about this picture of God's rulership, his authority, his glory, his sovereign power over all things and all nations, all people, all languages worshiping him for which we were created to do. His dominion is an everlasting dominion and it will not pass away and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. This is what S.M. Lockridge was struggling with and I think all of us struggle with as we grasp for the temporal glories or the temporal powers or the temporal authorities of this world, whether it's in politics or in, in business or anything else, where we grasp at these things. And what S.M. Lockridge realized is that these are fading kingdoms. These are fading powers, fading, fading empires. These things will not last. As he watched the Nixon presidency crumble, he said, 
Jesus is my king. Do you know him? <laughs> Do you know him? And that's the central question that all of us have to wrestle with is, is will we accept Jesus as our king, as our Lord? Or will we reject him? Will we fight against him? Because Jesus only left two options. Either we will be with him or we will go against him. There's no middle way. It's either with him or against him. There's a little song that Jill and I like to sing to our kids before they go to bed. Um, every night we pray and, and sing this song. And we, the song goes, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There's something about that name. And, and one of the refrains is, kings and kingdoms will pass away. But there's something about that name. <laughs> Amen. That's our hope. That's the central story of the Bible is that everything else is fading away, but God's kingdom does not. It remains. And so that question of what is God's kingdom is most central because it was the central message of Jesus. And it's the central thing that we have to grapple with today. Each one of you, each one of us, has to decide who will we love? Who will we worship? What will we give our love and our loyalty and our allegiance to? What will we ultimately trust with our lives? That question is, is posed before us every day. We make decisions around that. <laughs> we decide what to do with our money, with our lives, based on that. Of what will ultimately give us meaning and significance in life. And so God's kingdom confronts us with all the other false kingdoms that we want to trust, whether it's ourselves or other powers or other authorities or other things, other glories that we see in our worlds. His kingdom is around five things that I think the Bible story reveals to us. One is that God himself is the king. <laughs> there is no other. It says in Isaiah that he will not share his glory with another. And, and I'm standing here as a pastor knowing that, that there's a huge danger for all of us and there's a huge danger in, in religion and for pastors to try to take that place and for all of us to try that place. But, but none of us can take that place. Only God's glory. He alone is king and he alone is worthy of worship. And as king... There are four things that are revealed to us in the Bible story. And I have to go through these real fast, but these are profound as you study and as you dig into this. First, as king, he has a rule. He has a government. Isaiah 9 says, and the government will be on his shoulders. <laughs> you see, we're not, this is why Christians are persecuted in North Korea and China and everywhere in the world because the message of Jesus, the message of the Bible is one where God has authority. He has a rule. He has a government. And that challenges all others. And so he has a rule. And how does our king rule? And here's the good news. This is why Jesus said it's good news. Because he came as a servant. He came as a sacrifice. He came to bless. He came to give. He came to heal. He came to restore. And so how does he rule? He rules as a rescuer, as a redeemer. <laughs> Isn't that awesome news? That the king of the universe, the one who has all authority, all power, all dominion, all judgment, chooses to love, <laughs> chooses to give, chooses to suffer for your benefit. Wow, that blows my mind. That changes our thinking because God's kingdom is revealed in the cross. 
God's kingdom is revealed in the cross. And that we come into God's kingdom through grace. Jesus is the humble king. He showed us the face and the glory of God. And it's good news. But as a redeeming, rescuing king, he's also a governing king. He's Lord. The early church, and if you read Acts, look at every message that was preached. And what is the central message? Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And that offends all of us because we all want to be little lords. We all want to be in charge. We all want to get our way. And Jesus says, no, I am Lord. And so that is the most offensive claim that Jesus makes, but it is the most beautiful claim because when we come under his lordship, what do we find? Freedom. <laughs> we find freedom. We find significance. We find beauty. We find glory. We find everything that our, our souls long for. Everything we have dreamed of is found in his lordship. And so God has a rule as king, but he also has a people. He has a people. In the Old Testament, it's in the people of Israel. In the New Testament, it's the church. Because God, as king, as Lord, rules over a certain people. Now, not all people are under him because he gives us a choice. He gives us freedom to choose. He doesn't force himself upon us. Praise God. <laughs> he wants a loving relationship. And so he, he allows his people to respond to him as Lord and he has a people. And we're going to spend the whole Sunday talking about the church because it's significant in what part the church plays in his kingdom. But the kingdom is bigger than just the church, although the people are part of that God's kingdom. Thirdly, he has a way. He has a way. As king, he has a way. He doesn't say, come into my kingdom, come under my lordship, come under my kingship and do whatever you want. No, he has a certain way. That's why the early Christians call themselves the way. In the Old Testament, we saw it as the law, and we read the Exodus story, which is a story of rescue, right? But there's a way, there's a transformation that God wants in our lives, and Jesus talked about that in the Sermon on the Mount. As king, he revealed to us the way of the kingdom. And in Paul's letters, it's called the Didache, or the teaching. So if you read Romans, Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, every letter has instruction in the last part about how do we live? What does it look like? to live under the kingship, under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And so not only are we saved from our sin, but we are invited into a new way of life. And fourthly, his kingdom has a place or a space. In the Old Testament, this was the land, right? That's why the land was so important, because this was a, a, a physical realm where God ruled and now, in Jesus Christ, that has taken on a whole new meaning as we understand in Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes upon God's people and we see the sacred space of God's rule where people of God are gathered, filled with the Holy Spirit. And so wherever the people of God go, filled with the Spirit of God, God takes residency. His lordship, his kingship becomes evident and tangible. It's beautiful. Jesus said, the gates of hell will not be able to prevail the church. And remember, what are gates for? They're defensive. And so God is ascending his kingdom through his people, through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit into this dark world to bring about the message of his redemption and his lordship. That's why the message was Jesus is both Lord and Savior. And so God has included us in this beautiful picture 
of the land and the space where God rules. And Jesus reveals this in the, in, the, in the prayer where he says, where your will is done in heaven and on earth, where heaven and earth meet together in God's people. And this is ultimately fulfilled in the promise of the new creation. God, as you read Revelation, you see his purpose of all of human history is leading towards this moment where the new Jerusalem comes and the temple of God, the creation of God, is restored and redeemed. And he takes residence at the center of all things. And then we will see power and the beauty and the lordship of Jesus Christ over all things. And so this is the culmination of this idea of the kingdom of God. This is what Jesus was talking about throughout the gospels. So as we close here, I have uh, a few very practical things because as we talk about kingdom, a lot of times our eyes glaze over and say, okay, I can kind of get it, but it seems too big (laughs) for me. But we have a part in this purpose that God has, in this story that God has. Number one, very practically, the message of the kingdom means that we must repent. We must repent. We must respond to what God has revealed about his lordship, his kingship over all things. Either we will give our allegiance, our love, and we will surrender, and we will yield to him, or we will resist and fight him. And I tell you what, we're living in a time where many people are fighting against God's kingdom. And we see it. We see the resistance against God, the rebellion against God. No one cares or, says, or thinks giving any attention to what God says in our culture, in our world. But some of us, and some of you here, are listening to God's voice and invitation to his lordship, his kingship, and his goodness. And so the invitation for you and for I is to repent. Romans says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. (laughs) Amen. Today is the day of salvation. And so this could be your first time where you say, I'm gonna yield my life to God's lordship, to Jesus. Or maybe you did many years ago but you've allowed other, other things into your heart, into your life. You've been giving your trust to other things, your loyalty, your allegiance, your attention to other things. And God says, come, change your thinking. Let me be Lord of your life. Two, very practically, we live with hope in a different kind of power. I don't know about you, but you look at the world around you and it, There's so much broken, there's so much wrong. And we look inside of us and we see so much struggle. But the kingdom of God gives us hope and it gives us assurance and it gives us peace no matter what the circumstances. I wanna read out of Hebrews uh, chapter 11 because this is so important for us that we are receiving a kingdom that cannot, I'm sorry, out of chapter 12. Therefore, we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. (laughs) So everything in this world is being shaken, and that's what Daniel's prophecy is about. Things that we think are forever aren't, (laughs) but God's kingdom is forever. It cannot be shaken. So let us be thankful. So that's why we can consider it pure joy when we face trials 
when the terrible things happen in our world, we can still have peace. We can still have hope because we are part of a kingdom that will last. And so we're thankful and we worship God with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. So he will overcome all the destruction and disruption of our world and our lives. And this gives us peace. This gives us hope. This gives us love. This keeps us centered on God's glory and his purposes for our lives. Thirdly, we live in faith and obedience to him who is able. If God is truly king and he is truly, truly Lord, he will take care of your needs. He'll take care of my needs. That's why Jesus says, don't worry. <laughs> don't get stressed out. Don't be anxious. Trust me. Because if all authority is his <laughs> and he is good, he will take care of his people. He will take care of us. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. And fourthly, as people of the kingdom, we live in prayer. We live in prayer. We are praying people. The number one evidence of a kingdom um, mind that has been transformed by God, by Jesus, is that we are praying people. Because in prayer we say, I'm not able. I can't handle it. It's too big for me. But God, you are able. It's not about me. It's about you. And so that's why Jesus taught us to pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up. We are praying people because we understand where authority and power and hope and peace and everything we long for comes from. And it's also in prayer where we deny ourselves. <laughs> we say, I can't do it on my own. I need you, God. Work in my life in this way. And so we are a people of prayer. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you this morning, Lord, we're very aware there's a spiritual battle. There's a battle for our allegiance, our love, our loyalty, our trust in you. So God, expose all the things that we've trusted, all the things we've held on to that are not of you. Lord, lead us to repentance. Lord, it says your kindness leads us to repentance. Thank you, God, that you did not come to condemn the world, but to save the world. And today is the day of salvation. Lord, help us to bend our knees to you. And in bending our knees, help us to experience the freedom and the beauty and the joy of the Holy Spirit. Lord, lead us in the way everlasting. Lead us in the way that leads to life, Lord. And so, God, I just pray as we go about our week this week that, God, you would remind us who is king and that you would remind us of the joy and the glory of your kingship, of your lordship, and the hope that that brings us today. In Jesus' name, amen.